yeah, there's about 200 other guys that want to do the same. So, I don't know. All you can do is throw your hat in the ring. <laughs> Our guest today is what you would call grande classe on the bicycle. That means his style and position is a thing of beauty. And oh yes, he can ride it pretty darn fast as well, like when he won the Classica San Sebastian last year and a recent fourth place overall in the Tour de Suisse. Coming from the action stable of Axel Merckx and company and already set up for his third Tour de France start in a few days, we sit down with Nielsen Paulus today on Bobby and Jens. Okay, everyone, we're pretty excited to have a young but already seasoned Tour de France rider on the podcast today. I mean, let's face it, the Tour de France is right around the corner. I think he needs to get packing here pretty soon. So let's get going. Let's give a warm Bobby and Jens welcome to Nielsen Paulus from EF Education Easy Post. Nielsen, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So first, first of all, where are you right now? I am in Nice. Uh, nice. France, just uh, in the south of France, along the Côte d'Azur. Um, yeah, my wife and I, we based ourselves here this year. We uh, we still rent an apartment in Andorra for residence purposes, and we kind of bounce back and forth a bit. But um, yeah, when, uh, when we want to enjoy ourselves, we're in Nice. <laughs> so when you're Nice, um, what else you do there except sitting on a beach and zipping French red wine? Isn't there like this important bike race coming up just soon? What's uh, what's your last days or your next days going to be uh, look like? Um, oh yeah, I mean I've only got a couple more days in Nice. Um, yeah, I think might we might go out and have dinner with some friends tomorrow night for the last time for the next month, <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe spend an evening at the beach if 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 we uh, if we have some time for it between packing and cleaning up. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Nielsen, but I was based out of Nice my entire career, and there was always that pre-Tour de France last dinner, and there was a Mexican place called Texas City, and that was like the last hurrah, you know, like you knew that that next day you'd be eating like, you know, we didn't have the old fancy, <laughs> you know, chef's trucks yeah. and personal cooks and stuff like that. You knew that you were going to be eating overcooked pasta and overcooked mm. chicken for the next three weeks. So uh, what, uh, what restaurant do you have in mind? I'm I'm just you, curious. Is that text? Is that is that place still around? It's not. Oh, it's man. not. I've, I've no, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't the best Mexican food. Okay. But it was Mexican okay. food, and that was good enough yeah. for me. Yeah, it was good yeah. enough. Okay. Um, yeah, that yeah, Mexican food does sound good. It's hard to find in Europe, um, so we we typically skip trying. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It might honestly, it might just be a a meal at home. Um, Actually, my wife, Frances, is in Madrid at the moment, so we're only going to have one, I think, one night together before I have to leave for the tour. And um, yeah, it's probably just going to be a, a quiet evening at home with her. <laughs> Good enough. But I mean, you just recently finished fourth overall in the Tour de Suisse, which, you know, we've been in the sport a while. You know, you're, you're coming up on to, to peak form. But how has this last, you know, what, 10 days been since the Tour de Suisse got over, um, as far as your your overall sensations, do you do you feel do you feel good or do you still feel a little tired from that race? 
It's it's been pretty up and down, I think, since I finished the Tour de Suisse. Um, I was definitely very very tired for a few days. I like all I could do is just soft pedal around and um, just yeah try to spend a little bit of time in the saddle. But I wasn't really training for for like three or four days. Um, and then it was yeah it was kind of like one day would be good, one day would be tired, one day would be really good, next day would be kind of tired. Um, so yeah, I mean I I think with the taper going into the tour I'll have some a bit more time to rest anyways but um yeah just trying to get things right by not overdoing them because I have been pretty tired since the tour de Swiss but I know that like on the days that my legs are good they're really good so I just want to keep that and um yeah just yeah hopefully hit the right balance of like resting but not resting too much because the first week's going to be pretty intense yes before we get to that um You also got to be just simply happy to get out of Tour de Suisse, not only with a good result, but healthy. <laughs> I mean, a lot of teams has been hit by COVID, you know. Um, it was a little roller coaster in Tour de Suisse. I mean, like uh, Vlasov in the leader's jersey, uh, go home, COVID. Peter Sagan, yeah. third time in his life uh, getting, uh, getting positive for COVID. <laughs> Your team probably had a case or two. So I guess you're simply happy to yeah. come out of that healthy stay away from the stress and go to the tour you know as a healthy person first of all right yeah 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 exactly um i honestly couldn't believe i didn't get covid there or some sort of illness because i think there was not only a covid going around but guys were also like kind of getting sick with some some stuff that wasn't covid so it was i felt like i was just in the matrix dodging bullets there <laughs> like i came out of it and the next day i tested i got a pcr test just to be safe and It came back negative, so I was like, I don't know. man, so thankful for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of made, like the team made some good calls um, like a day or two after we'd gotten there. Like one guy started getting a sniffly nose and then they were like, okay, let's try to separate guys now because we don't know if it's COVID, but like, like someone's sick. So let's try to separate guys. And luckily I had my own room a few days before anybody started testing positive. So I think that probably helped. Jeez, oh man, I tell you that that was hard hard to watch. Um, but it's it's reality, right? Like this is something that we all have to, you know, think about. I mean, you guys really have to think about. Have you gotten any sort of information or bulletin or update about what you guys are going to do to mitigate, the, you know, the risk of of you know an outbreak like what happened in the in the Tortoise Swiss from from your team, from the UCI, from the the. Uh, the mm. ASO, anyone like that? Yeah, I haven't ha I haven't heard any like new rules coming out from from the race organizers or yeah from the UCI or anything like that. So I think it's going to be left up to each individual team. Um, I mean, in the past, the track record for the tour has been really good with COVID um, because I think teams definitely up their precautions right before and during the tour. Um, just they know how much is riding on it, and there's a lot of there's testing throughout the tour as well that's mandatory um so yeah i mean nobody can say for sure but i mean it's possible that the tour de swiss storm came at actually a good time because now all of our guys that got it at tour de swiss they were they had very very mild symptoms and they were honestly back training with it in three days um like they just had a, like a stuffy nose for like two days or something and they were then they were fine and now they're all negative And since they've just had it, we're hoping that they just have super immunity. And <laughs> we're hoping that this um, 
this could help for the tour actually. <laughs> so from your knowledge, is your team's Tour de France team the same like a month ago or you had to leave somebody at home or you cannot tell us yet really? <laughs> um, I mean, the team hasn't been giving me the inside scoop on everything. Um, all I know is they, <laughs> like, I think they've just given flights to about 10 guys. And then at the last minute, they're just going to say, okay, you go, you don't go. Like, because guys are still waiting to get PCRs back, because even though everybody's healthy, I'm not 100% sure if everyone is tested negative yet, but I know they were supposed to be testing again, like tomorrow, or sorry, today, and then Monday again. Um, so two more times before the start, and then they have basically guys on call if any of those tests come back positive. Um, because even if they're, even though they're healthy, they can't come if the tests are still coming back positive. So there's a lot up in the air. I think we have three reserves that are honestly just, I think they got a ticket today as well, just waiting to see if they're going to go or not. Kind of crazy. But yeah, like I got an email this morning with a flight, but the lady that handles our logistics, she added a note that was like, yeah, the, the tour team's not set, but if you end up going, here's your flight. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, who who's going to draw the short straw there? That's uh that's interesting. Yeah. But hey, listen, um you're you're getting ready to take off for basically 4 weeks. Um the suitcase mm. is a very very important thing. Like you can't bring three suitcases. The swan years get mad if you bring, you know, if it's too heavy. Uh but I know that I had some special items in in that suitcase. But what do you plan on, on putting in your suitcase that's going to help you either mentally or physically survive the next four weeks, which are going to be obviously quite difficult being in the Tour de France? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I don't have any... I, yeah, this for the Tour de France, I'm definitely going to bring my pillow. Um, that's a very important tip that I learned from Alberto Betiol. Um, <laughs> yeah, he travels with his pillow and it it honestly makes a pretty big difference when you show up to a hotel room and the pillows are basically like a piece of paper, just like flat as <laughs> flat as a sheet of paper and doesn't, yeah, it just, it's not nice to sleep on. So I'll probably bring a pillow, um, try to vacuum seal it if I can. If not, I'll just <laughs> make space for it because that's important. <laughs> um, probably that and I bring, um, I bring instant coffee with me, uh, but it's like a, It's like a good instant coffee. Like there's a there's a cafe in Sacramento where I grew up, and they started making like specialty instant coffee, and they basically flash freeze it as soon as it um, as soon as they do like a pour over brew. So it's like got really good flavor and stuff. Um, it's like definitely a lot more expensive than normal instant coffee, but it's super convenient. And um, yeah, Lachlan loves it too. He takes it on his adventures into the wild. And do you bring like um, a third bag, like a dead bag, where you put stuff in you wouldn't need in the first week? Like, for example, I would normally bring three books, one book for each week. And the oh, other two good. books, I would stuff away in the truck somewhere in the corner, and I would only go to that once a week to change the book or get something important out, you know? Um, yeah. But don't I, bring too I, much. You probably get another 10 <laughs> new jerseys. And uh, 10 new yeah. uh, bib shorts, so consider. Yeah, I mean, they're also being very secretive about that as well. 
like I don't I think we're gonna be getting a lot of extra kit at the tour um, but they haven't told us what we're getting and what we need to bring yet so <laughs> um, yeah I'm not sure I mean I've never made a dead bag before um, because in the past my wife has brought the clothes that I need for the after party when she comes to Paris so basically I just have my personal Sherpa to bring my last minute needs to Paris. Um, but yeah, I just bring a, a big suitcase and just uh, try to pack light on the lighter side because my rain bags with all my rain gear and spare shoes and all that are already with the team. So um, I just need to bring yeah cycling kit, some like, yeah, basically just two changes of team clothing and that's about it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, what do you do to, uh, during the downtime in the tour? Um, are you a book guy? Are you a video game guy? Are you a meditation guy? Like, like, what do you do to kind of just like when you have your me time uh, to, to just relax and just disconnect from the circus that is the Tour de France? Yeah, that's been getting super hard over the past. Well, yeah, ever the, yeah the only, I've only raced the tour twice, but both times it was... Um, I didn't really have any me time, to be honest. Um, the first tour I did, we had a film crew that was like an independent crew outside of the team that were that like got permission from the team to come and film us basically 24-7. And they would come into my room at night and film me talking to my wife. And like they would just follow us around everywhere. Um, and basically after whatever media obligations you have, um, I mean, you finish the race, you eat, you have the transfer, you're back to the hotel, um, go for a massage, and then you have maybe 30, 45 minutes to make some calls or check the data from the day or, um, yeah. For me, I, I'm pretty much just calling family in that time. Um, and then go to dinner, play Uno after dinner. Then by that time, it's like 9.30, 10, and you're so tired that like, I might call my wife one more time, otherwise, yeah, I'd, I'd typically just go straight to sleep. Um, yeah, I hold sleep to a pretty high regard in the Tour de France, so um, I'm basically just sleeping as much as I possibly can. Very good decision. Like, recovery, yeah. get it wherever you can and how much you can. So if you have an hour transfer to the start or back home to the hotel, you just prefer to, to chat with the boys and share stories and jokes or you just want to be quiet, put your earphones in and listen to music. And if you listen to music, mm -hmm. what type of music? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If, man, if it's a long transfer, yeah, I guess I would have a bit more time there. I, it ch I, I'd change it up a bit. Sometimes I'll read a book on my Kindle. Um, sometimes I'll just talk to my, talk to my wife. Um, chat with the guys. I do listen to music sometimes. Um, and that is always changing as well. Um, <laughs> I'll listen to like reggaeton sometimes because Rigo got me into it a bit. <laughs> um, I'll listen to country if I'm feeling like, uh, I'm homesick. <laughs> um, I listen to, yeah, like techno music if I'm feeling like I want to get pumped up or, um, yeah, maybe like hip hop rap if I feel like I'm going to try to win a stage. <laughs> awesome awesome i mean outside of sleep i mean recovery is the name of the game in in stage races and especially in the tour de france 
Talk us through a little bit about once you take that helmet off at the end of the stage, like what are your recovery trip tricks? Mm -hmm. I, there's so many of them out there now and everybody seems to kind of have their, their favorite, mm -hmm. but are you a massage guy? Or are you a Norma tech guy? Or are you a stretching guy? Like what is your kind of recovery protocol as far as, um, you know, that those little technical bits? Um, yeah, that's another thing that also changes throughout the tour. In the beginning, I'm a huge massage guy, but then by the end of the second week, I'm, I'm honest, I honestly would prefer to skip massages. Most of the time I still get them, but, um, I just kind of get to the point where I just want that one hour to myself. Um, cause then, yeah, after two weeks of every minute of the day being planned out so much, you kind of just want some time to yourself, but no, massage, that's good. Um, as soon as we finish the stage, we're already like drinking cherry juice and protein and then meal and then food. And I mean, yeah, eating is a big part of recovery, sleeping. Um, I take cold showers um, right after the stage and then again, right before bed if it's hot. Um, helps me fall asleep like super fast. It was really good in Swiss because it was like in the mid thirties every day in the Tour de Swiss. And the hotels don't have air conditioning there. Um, so I just like basically ice myself right before I go to sleep and it helped me fall asleep straight away. And yeah, I feel like that was a pretty big, pretty big benefit in the Tour de Swiss. Cold showers are cool. I still do them today. Honestly. Yeah. Really? I, if it's a oh. hot day, I go, yeah, cold shower at the whatever, 9.30, 10-ish. Just quick, just cool the body down. You yeah. lay in bed, you go, I feel fresh, clean, and yeah. perfectly happy, tired. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. Yeah. Maybe a tip for, for the massage um, in the second half of the tour. You, you tell uh, your uh, massage therapist, you go, listen, I love you to pieces, but this is just one hour I have for myself. So I switch off my phone, I have no book, and I love you to pieces, but I don't want to talk. I just want to lay here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. don't ask me about the stage. Don't ask me about food. I just want to lay here. And he probably will understand if you tell him, in a polite way, listen, you're a yeah. great person, but today I just yeah. don't want to talk. I need just time yeah. to let my mind, you know, at peace. That sometimes might, yeah. might help a little. Yeah, yeah, I guess I just need to work up the courage to, <laughs> to let him down easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's move into what we really want to talk about, the 2020 Tour de France. I mean, I'm sure you've dove into the race book already, taken all your notes, you know, went on, what is it, Jens Velo Viewer yep, or something yep. like that to, to, to scout out all the descents and the, and the finishes and stuff. But yeah, let's, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What are your expectations at the tour coming out of the Tour de Swiss, Swiss with such a great result? I mean, have you done recon? Do you have some stages circled? Um, we, I've reconned one stage. Um, <laughs> I've, yeah, it would have been nice to recon more, but um, yeah, just with getting sick this spring, a lot of my planned downtime just got taken up with trying to recover from infections and whatnot. So I was able to recon one stage, stage 16. Um, I think it goes pretty close to Andorra because we did it when we were in Andorra. <laughs> um, road, road, yeah, from Andorra. Um, and... I mean, that's a pretty good day. There's like two climbs towards the end, but I also just feel like the tour this year has a lot of opportunities for um, stage winners. 
like just the breakaway to survive. Um, there aren't a, a lot of um, uphill starts either, um, which I feel like, I don't know, could be helpful for me in particular because I feel like I can, I'm, I'm, I can do a pretty good job of finding the move that's going to go. And if there's not an uphill start, then there's just going to be more guys that are in there who aren't climbers even though it finishes uphill, which is a good thing for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, I don't just off the top of my head, I don't know every single stage that I was looking at, but just looking through the road book, um, I think I counted up like probably, yeah, like eight stages or something that are in the mountains that are probably going to end with a breakaway win. So really good year for attackers, which is good for me. <laughs> All righty. So, Day two, you got the TT, which is called 13 kilometers. You ride along the little mermaid in Copenhagen. Wonderful city mm. course, nice roads, absolutely safe and a perfect way to start. The next day, at 20 kilometers to go, you enter a 18 kilometer long sea bridge. Like the Bay Bridge, yes. but five <laughs> times as long. Like full on guaranteed winds. And in the middle, it goes up. It got a little bit of a bump, bump in the middle because these big ocean ships have to pass underneath it. I drove it. I had to hang on to the steering wheel in the car. I drove it in the car. I don't think people are aware of how dramatic that will be. Then you come down the highway bridge, two kilometers to go. You hit land, 90-degree turn into the smaller road. Underneath, uh, underneath uh, uh, um, railway left and 1K to go over this highway you just left and right in front of McDonald's you finish. Slightly downhill sprint <laughs> off the highway bridge. It, it, it will be unbelievable stressful. The whole day along the coastline and it will be absolutely impressive, uh, stressful for every rider. So um, that stage definitely is worth looking at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a stage that I've heard a lot of chat about. Um, yeah, our directors have driven it, but, um, yeah, maybe with the extra time that we have in Denmark, like we're getting there, I don't know, four days before the race or something this year, it's pretty quite early. So yeah, there might be an opportunity to, to check that out. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what it sounds like, it's just going to be chaos going into that bridge, like for position. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm afraid it will be pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah. The next day already, it's across the country in Denmark. It's not too bad. A fair chance for the breakaway to make it because mm. constantly little just up, little up and down, up and down, not too much wind. Mm. Then you fly to uh, France, Dunkirk, little wishes uphill finish kicker, then a fairly normal stage, and then you're already on a pavé sections. Mm. The 20 to 30 kilometers before. I talked to uh, the sport director of Kofidis, Cedric Vasseur, former teammate of mine. He said, people are not aware of how narrow the roads are, up mm. and down, left and right, small French country villages. Um, so that's another key stage. Yeah. Like the old people used to say, you cannot win the tour, but yeah. you can lose it on that day. <laughs> so the first week is pretty challenging. Yeah. Next Friday, so day seven, is uh, Planche de Belfie. A steep climb. And um, so the, the first week has more or less some sort of challenge every day. So, yes, it will be intense. I know our listeners can't see 
Nielsen right now, but his demeanor has changed a little bit. Um, he's kind of tw- <laughs> twitching in his seat a little bit, lost a little color in his face. Damn, Yenzi, that, that hammer is pretty heavy that you just dropped. I mean, that's only the first week. I know. Well, but then he's in his element, like a fish in the water. Mountains, the GC is clearly structured after the first week. People know their places. And then, Nelson, you either defend your second, third, or fourth position overall, or if you're not there, you're going to attack and win a stage. So no worries <laughs> at all. Whatever the outcome of the first week is for you, Nielsen, you're going to profit from yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Just try to take advantage of the chaos, but <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, about yes. 200 other guys that want to do the same. So I don't know. All you can do yeah. is throw your hat in the ring. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, it's, it is crazy. Everyone that hasn't done the tour always asks the question, oh my gosh, it must be so hard. And yes, it is incredibly hard, but it's a heck of a lot of fun as well. I mean, th- these challenges that are coming at you left, right, and center, um, you know, the heat, the fans, the just the hoopla, it's, it's something that's totally, totally different. And, you know, you'll be starting your, your third Tour de France here in a couple days. What is, like, your favorite thing about racing the Tour? Or if somebody asked you that question, what's it like racing in the Tour? What is that favorite thing and that least favorite thing? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the, coolest slash unexpected things was that like how how far it it reaches just like people that i went to elementary school reaching out like teachers like people that i haven't talked to in 10 15 years starting to like reach out because they saw me on tv or something and um i thought that was like really cool because it was i feel like it kind of offers a a way to to reconnect with people that you may have yeah you may haven't have talked to in 10 to 15 years. And I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, on top of that, you're just at the top of this pretty amazing sport, like the best of the best all, um, giving it their all, which is really, really cool to be a part of. Um, yeah. And I think my least favorite thing, it's like become the necessary evil, but it's, I mean, I don't really think there's like a lot of really bad things about the tour. I don't even think this is that bad. I think it's good, but it's the part that kind of gets annoying to me. It's just like the amount of media obligations that you have within the tours, within the tour now. Like it's not only about the like showcasing athletic talent and ability. It's also about like how you're presenting yourself, how you're like, like how you're making the sponsors look like all the interviews that you have to do on the side as soon as you get off and before you start. Um, before you go to bed and all of that helps the good thing which is like getting more people to you know interact with the tour and like get to know it and um, hear your name hear your sponsor's name all that's really good um but yeah i mean everything starts to annoy you after a few weeks (laughs) so that's one of the things and that's that's why I want to thank you for coming on our podcast. What we're doing right now is like a little yeah. activation session, a little roller warm up. So um, yeah, thank you for giving up your time to to be with us today. But um, I, I want to go back to inform our listeners about your your world tour victory in uh, San Sebastian, the Classica San Sebastian last year. Um, you came out of the tour pretty good, obviously. You know, you're you're in the front there. 
you're coming into a, I believe it was a, a four-up sprint. And uh, Mate Mahoric, who is, you know, obviously winner of uh, Milan San Remo this year, you out-sprinted him. Uh, take us a little bit through that that special day because I mean, there's not many Americans that have that on their on their resume. You know, Classica San Sebastian. I think there's only one other one. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about that race. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like racing in the Basque Country in general is pretty pretty awesome. Just the fans are super passionate, and um, yeah, the courses are always designed to be raced aggressively, and um, yeah, they're just. Yeah, they really enjoy bike racing there, which is really cool. Um, yeah, but I mean, the race itself, I wasn't really sure what I was going into it with. Um, so I was basically just going like, I mean, obviously to compete, but I was I was there just wanting to have a good time and enjoy the race and just race aggressive. I knew that I was feeling pretty good. Um, I had just been enjoying myself in, in training on and off the bike. Um, in, in Greece the week before, so my mind was just in a really good place, and I just wanted to show up and and have fun racing my bike. And um, yeah, I mean, luckily we had a pretty strong team there that we could, you know, make a, a fun race of it. And uh, in the end, it it paid off. <laughs> One follow up question about that race that I was hoping that you would uh, say, but I'll I'll um, throw you an <laughs> underhand softball pitch right now. Is it true that? Because, you know, you guys were going down one of those last descents and there's a sharp corner coming up and all of a sudden two guys just take each other out. Is it true that your Garmin actually informed you of that um, of that turn coming up and kind of gave you a split second better decision to be on the, the right side of the road instead of the left side of the road? Yeah, now? I mean, it's not like I got a notification that said sharp turn coming. It was, I mean, I think most guys do race with a, a map on their computer now and... Um, I mean, I just got used to racing with the GPS, like loaded, the course preloaded on my, on my computer. And, um, I mean, I could definitely see that the corner was going to be pretty tight and I was wondering why they were going into it so fast. Um, cause you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't see the exit, obviously we're on the side of a mountain, but, uh, I just assumed that everyone else also races with GPSs because I can, I look around the Peloton and a lot of guys are using them, but I think the guys I was with there in the end, like. They, they weren't looking at anything. They were just fully focused on, um, yeah, just the race and the competitors, which is a good thing. But in that particular situation, it definitely, it definitely helped me to not crash, which um, was very helpful. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine exclusive membership content from bellenews.com access all the premium content from the whole outside family including yoga journal backpacker ski outside magazine and many others and that's not all there are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events access to gaia gps and trail forks as well as virtual health and fitness courses it's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount 
and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Nielsen. Talking about probably one of your best results yet, what would make the Tour de France a great Tour de France for you? What is your desired, if you could dream, what is your desired outcome of the Tour? And what do you think is realistic for you within the team and the role you have to play within mm. the team? What, what is your highest wish or what do you think a real you could achieve if you get permission for it? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very realistic person. I'm not... I'm not like going to tell you that I want to be in the yellow jersey in Paris. Like that's not a realistic expectation for myself right now. Maybe um, not yet. Yeah, maybe not, not this maybe, year. Yeah, Who knows? Maybe in the future. Not, not this year. Um, but I mean, I have a teammate who um, my inside source is telling me that he's um, flying at the moment. Rigoberto Iran. Um, he didn't have a great opening stage in Swiss, but he still, I could see him getting stronger each day. And I just ran into him yesterday and I, I can tell you he's going like a motorbike right now. So I think if I could help him get onto the podium in Paris, that would be massive. Um, I think if we could win the team classification, that would also be amazing. Um, and for myself, I would like to win one, if not one, then two or three <laughs> tour stages. Great answer. <laughs> well, we, we had your boss, Jonathan Vodders, on the podcast, um, gosh, mm. a couple weeks ago, I'll say. Maybe it was months by now. Uh, this year is yeah. flying by so fast. And yeah, he said it's been challenging. You know, you guys have had to deal with a lot of sicknesses. Uh, it's been hard to like patch teams together and whatnot. And, you know, I, I'll say to you what I said to him after the podcast was over was, you know, the wheel turns. Uh, if you get on a good roll, no, regardless of how the spring went and the lack of results and the sicknesses and difficulty putting teams together, you know, that, that could be a good momentum thing for you guys coming into the summer. And, you know, you showed it, uh, one of your other teammates won a race recently. I think, uh, I think you guys are going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like we finally found our feet a little bit, um, yeah, I mean, Ruben Guerrero just won the um, Von Two Challenge, and he yeah finished like uh, Esteban Chavez finished second. So we had a one two there, and they also just come off of top both top ten in the Dauphiné, um, where they were just kind of yeah looked like they were just getting stronger each day. Um, and then we yeah we had a good tour to Swiss. We only finished with two, but it was a good two. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think that the tour is definitely like our opportunity to like bring all these guys together that are finally on like a good role and yeah, hopefully do something special with it. Um, talking about finishing tour de Swiss with only two riders. Do you know on top of your head, how many people you bring to the tour de France? It's gotta be something like 30 to 35, I believe. Do you know approximately how many people the entire team will be from the bus driver to the bike rider to the massage therapist, mechanics, press officer. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, if I, I could spend probably five minutes sitting here and trying to count everybody up, um, I mean, I'd still probably get it wrong. But <laughs> off the top of my head, I'm just gonna guess. Um, let's say five, ten, um, eighteen. 
I'd say I'd say you're you're probably pretty close. I'd say about thirty, um, thirty five, yeah, thirty five, including the riders. It's a pretty good guess. But there's also people that come in and out. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not always the same people. Um, if we go close to the south of France, our team service course isn't super far away, so there might be staff coming up from there to resupply some equipment or something, and then drive back. Or yeah, media crew coming in and out. Um, yeah, JV might not be there for the entire time. He'll be in France, but maybe not with us the whole time. Uh, he's got a, probably, I'm assuming he's going to be whining and dining some sponsors. So <laughs> he'll be in and out. But yeah, I'd say around 35. Probably probably three or four staff members to every rider. Um, just for our listeners, why I asked the question is my first team, and it was a good, nice, solid French team, Caracol. The entire team was 35 people plus Liliane. She worked three days a week, half time at the office in Paris. So 18 bike riders, 35 and a half, the entire team. In my last years, we brought 35 or 36 people to the Tour de France. The entire team was something like 56, 58 people. So, you know, things getting just bigger and bigger and bigger. The basically teams doubled in my career in, in terms of uh, uh, size. So um, I probably, I guess you do bring something between 30 and 35 uh, people. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's interesting to have gone through that, that change. <laughs> well, now that we're on the topic of support, um, you don't get to the Tour de France for your third start without being introduced to the sport by someone. Who was that that person for you? Yeah, that was my my parents for sure. Um, my parents were both triathletes, um, and that's what my sister and I first did because my parents just got us into endurance sports in general. So we were always swimming, biking, running, yeah, playing all the other school sports um, like basketball and soccer and whatnot. And um, But my dad was definitely the cyclist and he always watched the Tour de France uh, every summer. And I mean, that was the only race we watched on TV, but it still just was totally enough to make me fall in love with the Tour and cycling in general. And when did you actually start racing? How old were you? Honestly, I can't even remember because my parents had me and my sister in like, like baby races that like you just run the length of like three parking spots, like swim, like just jump in a pool, jump out. I don't know. I mean, I, I probably did my first competitive race when I was 10, 11. Dang. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, we, we know that you came through the, the action, her action Hagman's <laughs> Berman team. I always seem to mispronunciate that. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of you guys coming through that program. What do you think, was and still is so special about that team and what are your fondest memories of your time there um yeah i think they have a really good eye for scouting talent and um and the support on that team was was wild i they were sponsored by specialized when i was on the team and we just got so many bikes and like zip gave us a ton of wheels and i mean we just yeah we we had everything we could have asked for like it I think for better or worse, in some instances, like the team won so much because of like the support that the riders had and just the atmosphere of everybody wanting to get to that next level, wanting to be world tour, um, everybody pushing each other to just 
get better and better. Uh, I think that was a pretty big aspect of that team. But um, yeah, also just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I raced in America quite a lot on that team. They had, a, there were, at, when I was on the team, there were a lot of races you could do in America. And it's just really fun racing in America. Like if you're still training and racing, you're like developing pretty well. And you definitely need to go to Europe at some point, but I'd say racing in America on that team were like some of my best memories and like the training camps in Southern California, just outside of LA. Like it's, there's like really not a lot of places in the world that are better for, um, yeah, a training camp than that. It's just like great weather in the winter. And, um, yeah, we just had unlimited food at this restaurant that made amazing food. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't really put my finger on what it was. I think it's just the sum of the whole It's just, uh, yeah, just the sum of everything It's just, they were able to scout talent pretty well. Um, there were a lot of Americans on the team, which made me feel super comfortable at least. And started racing in America on that team. And then they slowly introduced like more and more Europe, uh, European racing and, um, yeah, and the mentorship was really good as well. When now we talked about equipment that uh, you had uh, bikes and wheels and so on, um, I believe you do get a new bike for the Tour de France. Do you already have it to train on it or you get a brand new bike just a few days before the Tour? It'll be a brand new bike. Um, yeah, I haven't seen what it looks like or anything like that, but um, yeah, I think they'll, they'll do some special paint jobs and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to see what it looks like, but it'll be a completely new bike when I show up in Denmark. Yeah. And uh, to our listeners for a better understanding, can you explain them how many bikes you having in the Tour de France and what are they for and, um, how many sets of clothes you get for the Tour de France so that our viewers get a better idea of how big of an operation that is? Mm. Yeah, um, so I'll have four road bikes. Um, so I'll have one climbing road bike, one climbing spare bike, one aero road bike, race bike, and one spare aero bike. <laughs> um, I'll have a TT bike and a spare TT bike. So that makes six bikes for just me. Um, yeah, so that ends up being quite a lot of bikes um, that they have to move around not only France, but also now from Denmark. <laughs> um, but luckily that's not my job moving all of that stuff around. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of a, a pretty massive haul of wheels to go along with that. Um, I, I have no idea how many wheels the team brings, but it's gotta be like in the hundreds of wheels. Um, then for cycling kit, um, Yeah, I'd say we'd probably we're probably going to be getting four, four or five pairs of four or five jerseys, four or five pairs of shorts, um, two or three like aero suits for the road, um, two skin suits for time trials, um, probably ten to fifteen pairs of socks, ten to fifteen pairs of gloves, um, also all of the rain gear and arm and leg warmers to go along with it. Everything's got to match, so. <laughs> Um, yeah. And a few new, few new pairs of shoes. So, you, I mean, yeah, showing up at the tour kind of feels like Christmas sometimes. <laughs> That was one of the, the best things about it, but getting your equipment straight, getting your rain bags straight, because, you know, the Tour de France, 
you have uh, what three follow cars, I believe, unless they've changed that. So you need to have at least two, if not three, rain bags because you want to make sure that you have everything in the car that's following you. You never know if you're going to be in the front group or the groupetto. I mean, things happen, right? But the new shoes thing that always scared me when we would roll up. And, you know, getting a new bike, that's one thing because, you know, the bikes are pretty much the same. But when I would see guys out there fixing their brand new shoes, like the day before the Tour de France, it was like the facepalm emoji. I was just like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know about you guys, but it does not take one day to set up a pair of shoes. And I want to ride easy and then pull over to the side of the road and make those little minor adjustments. Um, so, Yeah. Please, between now and when you leave, focus on getting those shoes right. Don't do it the day before the Tour de France. <laughs> no, the shoes that I'll start in, they're already ready to go. Um, I've got a few other pairs of shoes in my rain bags already that I've already adjusted that I haven't used yet I, in a race. I've ridden in them and done my best to fine-tune them. But, um, yeah, no, I won't, I won't be showing up in Copenhagen with a fresh pair of shoes on that day. Um, I'll be using shoes that have been broken in a little bit. And um, if I'm allowed as an old man give you one advice, do ride all four of your road bicycles at least once before the race. Don't leave them on the car and trust that they will be identical to your race bike. Go and check yourself because they are your main important, most important working tool. And if it's only half an hour just down the driving lot, uh, you know, just down the parking lot, Just spend at least half an hour on them to make sure, yes, it feels like the other one. There's nothing more annoying than actually needing the race. You may be crashed. You are in a world of pain. Your bike is broken and you jump on your spare bike. You go, dang, that doesn't feel okay <laughs> at all, right? So one advice of for me, at least ride all four bikes for a while before the tour actually starts. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to get my notebook out, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that is a really good idea. I haven't done that at a lot of races, um, and it has bit me in the butt before. Um, so, yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> well, you just put a bullseye on your head, Yenzi, uh, or on your back from every world tour yeah. mechanic, <laughs> because obviously... Obviously, they do a fantastic job, right? But there's so many bikes, and sometimes people come in, uh, VIPs, they want to ride a bike, and they just lower the seat, and they forget to raise it up again. So 1,000%, I know the mechanics hate this, but go out and personally check your, your, your uh, dimensions, your, your sizes, because there's nothing like, like Jen said, having to take that spare bike and actually having to race on it and find out that, that it's not right. Um, I learned the hard way a couple times with that, but, um, yeah, you know, this, this, this next four weeks is going to be insane, right? But what, what do you have for the rest of the year? I mean, last year you had a very, you know, you won Classica San Sebastian right after the tour. You were super strong in the world championships. Is there anything that you're looking Uh, at past the Tour de France, or is it just 100% focus on right now? Um, yeah, the second half of the year is going to be pretty pretty chaotic, honestly. I've I had to do some planning already just because of I, I want to be able to see my wife, so I was trying to plan the second half of the year a little bit. Um, because straight from the Tour, I actually fly to San Sebastian. The window is much tighter this year, so 
I'll have five days in San Sebastian before the race. Um, and I'll actually go there with my wife and, um, her parents and my parents actually. And we're just, we rented like a, we rented a Airbnb there and we'll just stay there instead of me flying home for one day and then flying to San Sebastian. Um, so I've got that planned out. And then after San Sebastian, I'll have a bit of a break for five days and then I'll head up to Andorra for another altitude camp for two weeks. And then I'll head to America or Canada for Quebec and Montreal. And then that's where it gets a little bit messy with not knowing for sure about world championships. If I get selected, if it's even a race, that's going to be good for me. Um, and because that's going to be coinciding with like the slew of Italian races, one day races that are going to be taking place. And I definitely want to hit quite a few of those. I think I've got right now six or seven on my calendar um, in September. So quite a lot of racing in Italy. And then I'll be finishing my year in Japan at Japan Cup, I believe, if it's going to take place. <laughs> so um, that's still a ways off as well. But um, yeah, we've been trying to plan like, okay, like, is it going to work out that we are going to spend one week in Nice or should we just plan on meeting together in Italy so that we're just like there between races or there ahead of races? Like I might be flying to Italy straight from Canada or if I do Worlds, I'll be flying to Italy straight from Australia. So um, there is like a bit, yeah, there's, just, there's a bit I'll have to figure out after the tour, but at least I know once I'm through San Sebastian, like the tour San Sebastian, then I'll have like a minute to breathe, like five days off and then altitude camp. Like that's a nice block to, to focus on where I'll have some rest. But then from there, it's going to be flying every which way, especially if I do Worlds. <laughs> And um, Japan Cup, that's in October. That's a long, long way to go, right? <laughs> but It is a long way, yeah. But I did it. I raced the Japan Cup in 2019, and it was like seriously one of my favorite races of the year. I had so much fun there. Um, I was just with me, uh, Seb Kus and I were still were teammates at, at the time, and we were just like going out to lunch every day, trying all this exciting food, and like we had a each team has like a tour guide following them and taking them around. And we just had this guy like <laughs> taking us to all these dumpling places and um, soba bars. And like, yeah, he, the place that Japan cup takes place in Utsunomiya is supposedly famous for um, gyoza, like dumplings. So we were going around and um, cultivating our own list of places that does that, that had good gyoza. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, listen to you going to Australia, Italy, Canada, Japan, France, Denmark. I mean, it's not such a bad life, is it? I mean, you get to see a lot of interesting places and try different cuisines. And I, I totally agree with you. Japan, by far, the two times that I went to Japan were my favorite favorite uh, trips mm. that I got to go on. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of traveling. And we definitely don't get like... We don't always have the opportunity to have the real experience in every place we go because a lot of times we're in a very controlled environment with our teams, which is also nice. Like I, I can't complain about having a chef and uh, a massage therapist follow us around the globe. But um, yeah, I feel like especially maybe that's why I like Japan Cup so much is because after the race, we had three, four days where 
we didn't need to ride our bikes. Everybody was off season. We could just enjoy the city and you don't get to do that very often as a cyclist. So that was just a, a really cool experience. Hey, um, now we talked about uh, your career so far and you won a one day classic. You just finished a very good result in the overall in Tour de Suisse. What type of rider are you or what type of rider you gonna be in the future or what type of rider you want to develop into? You want to focus mm. on the stage races one week <laughs> or like the, the big ones or you say, no, I, I actually believe I'm better for the one day classics. Where do you want to go in the future if, if you could choose that pass? Yeah, that's that's a hard one. And I honestly, that's an answer to a question I, I don't think I even have yet um, because I've had the most fun I have racing my bike is definitely has been on hard one day races like in the Ardennes and Flesh Vallone and Liège and then San Sebastian. And then this one stage that was in the Tour de Suisse um, was stage five or six or something like that. Um, it was a stage I was second to Vlasov um, the last day he was in the race. Um, but it was really like it, it really felt like a classic because after with only yeah with 80k to go, we just entered this circuit that was nuts. It was just left, right, up, down, just, yeah, up and down the whole way. And it, it felt like a one day classic. And I feel like that's just when I have the most fun racing my bike, when the racing is really hard, selective, but not necessarily like over big mountains selective, more selective just because it's, it's hard and the, the durable guys last. And then there's, you know, a small group and then, and then there's a lot of tactics involved too. So I think, I have a lot of fun when it's really selective, but you have to be very tactical at the same time. So I just, I think I just need to set my eyes on days like that, whether it's a one day race or within a stage race. And if that sets me up for a good week long result, then even better. <laughs> well, Nielsen, it's been an absolute pleasure following your career up to this point, And um, I'm sure you have a long way to go. We want to wish you all the best in this year's Tour de France and then your busy race and recovery schedule afterwards. But most of all, just want to thank you for taking the time out to come on our podcast as that little warm up into the introduction of all the media yeah. uh, obligations that you're going to have over this next four yeah, weeks. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thank you to Nielsen for being our guest. Thanks for listening and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>